Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 81, The Algorithm. So we're still continuing our journey toward the how-to part of the R versus should problem. How do we actually change our lives? How do we live more in the R and less in the should? How do we not listen to the voices of what Don Miguel Ruiz calls domestication uh, from our parents and the churches and the schools that we grew up in? How do we identify our limiting beliefs and change the way that we move through the world as our lives unfold? Well, a one, another thing that I want to hit on in the next 20 minutes or so before we get there is to, get, to help you get inside the way that I think. And again, in an effort to help you determine whether or not this is something that's going to work for you. Because there's tons of people out there that have different ways of doing things. And you know some of those are going to line up with the way that you learn and some of them aren't. I mean, it's just like any teacher. You know, you've had good teachers in your lives that you sort of jive with and you learn better from those teachers. I hope that I represent some sharer of the wisdom or pontificator or whatever it is that I do, I'm doing um, to, to help. Uh, I hope that lines up with what you need. And if it doesn't, you know, hopefully you find somebody else uh, who can do that for you. But for those of us that are trying to looking at living better lives, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay down a bunch of different ways that have worked for me uh, to improve my quality of life and, and to change my journey uh, and change the way that I deal with life unfolding. But this episode particularly is about the algorithm. And the way that you probably know this word is from the YouTube algorithm and the movies or documentaries like The Social Dilemma that sort of talk about how our attention has been manipulated basically by marketing and advertising to get us to watch certain things and to be able to put certain things in front of our eyes. And really, this has been going on since the days of Mad Men and even before then when advertisers have used psychological trickery to get us to pay attention to things and hopefully spend money on things. And so we use this term algorithm to describe this, <laughs> we don't even really know, right, this, this, this way that computers figure out uh, what you want to learn. You know, I was just interviewing Emmanuel Chase, and she talked about the idea that, you know, her phone is listening to her, right, because she was talking in a, strangely about wicker furniture, which is something she'd never thought of or mentioned before. And then the next time she picked up her phone and opened up Facebook, there was advertisements for wicker furniture. That's the algorithm I'm talking about. The, 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 the probably the computer code and mathematical, uh, um, modeling, which I'll talk about in a second, that figures out a way to put things in front of you that you may spend money and time on. That's become, you know, the, the 21st century um, way for shareholders to get rich, right, is to capture the attention of people and hopefully the, their dollars. But attention has sort of supplanted finances because generally it, it means that you'll spend the money. And so that we use this term algorithm. Now, what is an algorithm really? Now, I want to step in here with my PhD had a little bit. I've had years and years of statistics and mathematical modeling, which is basically what the algorithm is. It's a bunch of code written out to sort of, you have a whole bunch of terms in this complex equation that are used to uh, calculate a result, you know, like X plus Y equals Z, right? Or one plus two equals three. You know, the, the algorithm is the plus part. That's a very simple algorithm or a simple model, X plus Y equals Z. 
what you're interested in is the Z. And in the case of the YouTube algorithm, Z is putting something in front of you that you'll pay attention to. Like that Z is, you know, is it monster truck videos? Uh, is it cats laughing? You know, is it uh, trucks driving under underpasses that are too low? You know, what, what are you going to pay attention to? The algorithm is the other side of that equation that figures that out, right? What an algorithm is basically is a model. And a model is, 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 is nothing more than a mathematical equation. And the equation can be very complex, having hundreds and hundreds of different variables that are calculated in crazy different ways. Or it can be something very simple, like x plus y equals z. Um, there are very simple models that we use every day when we sort of say things like, as people get taller, their shoe size gets bigger. You know, that's a model. It's an inferential model that's, you know, we've actually calculated real data for and we can make these sort of predictions. Or like the other example related to clothing that I use a lot is when I worked at a brewery and we wanted to order T-shirts uh, when I owned a brewery and we wanted to order T-shirts. It was like, well, how many of each size do we get? Well, what's the distribution of these sizes in our local population? What's the distribution of these sizes uh, in our clients? And as you can imagine, a lot of our clients were really big, overweight men. <laughs> and so we, w instead of ordering five smalls, five mediums, five larges, five XLs, and five double Xs, we were better off ordering like 20 double Xs and 15 XLs and like five larges and none of the smaller sizes. Maybe order some women's shirts for more petite. You see what I mean? So there's a, there's a mod, there's a way of generating that information. Back up even further. Why even have models? Well, models are used to estimate things you can't know. I don't know what the populate, the true number of people out there who are going to buy a brewery t-shirt in the next two weeks, much less what sizes they are. I don't have that information. And so we do things like modeling and statistics and algorithmic and coding and computer programs to try to estimate what those are. That is exactly what statistics is. The mother of all these fields is taking a sample from a population. Let's ask the next six guys that come into the brewery what size shirt they wear. And then we'll use them to represent this real pool of however many guys out there that might want to buy a t-shirt. We'll ask them if they want to buy a t-shirt, and then we'll ask them what size they are. And then we can build a model based on what they say. So if two out of five guys come in, want to buy a t-shirt, and they're both XLs, then that means 100% of our number is going to be XL, and it's going to be two-fifths or 40% of the population. If our population is 10,000, there's 4,000 people out there. Oop, but 50% of them are female, there's 2,000 people out there, so we can sell, you know, whatever. So you're using, you can't measure the real, you can't measure what 8 billion people's favorite color is. You just, it's impossible. And so you can take some sample of the population, ask them what their favorite color is, and then multiply that up to represent, that's a model. I hope that's enough um, information about the math <laughs> behind what an algorithm is. And so the more real terms you can add to that model, maybe it's not just um, two, two out of five of the people that walked in on a Thursday afternoon that want to buy shirts. Maybe you can add different elements into that model to make it more predictive and more accurate. But you don't really know what the accuracy is, but you can't because you can't measure the real thing. But you can make these things super, super, super complex. And that's why YouTube is paying people millions of dollars with all these coders and excellent smart minds to stay on top of 
get to know the true population of YouTube viewers as well as they can so they can build a model that best predicts what they'll watch. And then they can go back in and analyze the results of the models and go, man, we put all these cat videos in front of this guy last week and he didn't watch any of them. Maybe we should change this up. and Let's go back and change the model. So that's the game that's being played. Uh, and you are <laughs> the pawn. <laughs> and I am the pawn in that game. The best thing I ever heard about models, and some people, you know, will poo-poo models altogether and say, well, that's just dumb. But you know what? It happens all the time. If you own a, tr- uh, a car garage repair and you want to know what kind of oil to stock, well, you got to know what kind of cars are people driving. Does it make sense to have the 5W20 synthetic on the shelf uh, 80% of your stock when only like one customer comes in that? You want this information because it makes your life easier. And it makes your bottom line, you know, you make more money and all these things. So it's important to have some estimate of this. Uh, And maybe you do just as a parent when you say something is benign. It's like, well, uh, I wonder where the kid, we're going to go out to dinner tonight, but I don't want to spend that much money. And I know every time I ask the kids if they want to go out to dinner, they want to go to Chuck E. Cheese and we spend too much money there. And so I'm going to have that information. I'm going to build a model that will help me ask a question about where do you want to eat that'll make them feel like they have some autonomy and some choice, but that'll drive them away from Chuck E. Cheese because I don't want to go there. That's also modeling. You know, we do this every day. Hmm, traffic up ahead looks a little busy on the interstate. I wonder if I should take this exit and drive around the back roads and then get on the exit up there. Oh, Waze is telling me there's a wreck ahead. I'm going to do that. I'm going to redirect. Models. I mean, we use it every day. It doesn't have to be something big and fancy like the YouTube algorithm. It can be something very, very simple. You know, the last time that I ate banana nut ice cream, I had a stomach ache. But you know what? The five times before that, I didn't. Anyway, my favorite descriptor of models. One... Models are simplifications. We can't understand the numbers and complexity of the real-world populations of interest, whatever it is, whether it's our kids deciding where they want to eat or whether it's the cars that people drive in the area around your garage or whether it's the population of YouTube viewers and what videos they're going to pay attention to. You can't know the truth. It's impossible. But you can simplify that into an easier thing that might be ninety explain 90% of the truth. And that's good. And that's what you want to do. So a model is just a simplification. An algorithm is a simplification of the world and try to explain how it works. And the better it is, the, uh, the better it can be. And there's another thing that's really neat. There's a little box that says model. And there's an arrow that points in that box that says garbage in. And there's an arrow coming out of the box that says garbage out. So what you put into the model depends a lot on how good the model is. Either way, the model is simplifying reality because you can't understand reality. It's too complex. My other favorite saying, and really should probably be the the title of this episode, but I think the algorithm is going to be a more popular hit for SEO. And, you know, I don't know much, but I know I'm learning to title my episodes a little bit better uh, so that they actually get seen, um, is all models are wrong. And some are useful. Think about that. All of them are wrong. So anybody who has a problem with models, what they really don't like is the fact that people think they're the truth. Models are not the truth. They're far from it. They are estimates that help us understand things better. They're simplifications, and they're wrong. But now some of the conclusions that come, some of the garbage out might not be so garbagey, and it may actually help you make better decisions. And so if you have the first YouTube algorithm, probably didn't get anybody to watch anything because they were putting the wrong videos in the feed, and people weren't watching them. Garbage in, garbage out. That model's wrong. 
gradually we make improvements. And now you've got people who spend 8, 10, 12 hours continually clicking on these you know, things I might like and seeing the advertisements and all the other things that go along with that. So models can be very useful. And how else are you going to understand the overwhelmingly infinite complexities of the natural world unless you do things like modeling? Um, you know, it's like, think about weather. Weather might be one of the best models because it, it, it's got everything, right? It's got the people that are like, they said it was going to rain and it didn't rain. Those guys don't know anything. They're so dumb. Um, I, you know, I, I hated that, that, uh, meteorologists get, get poked fun of and I sympathize with them because I know they're just doing the best they can. They're simplifying the climate at localized areas and predicting weather based on information that's impossible, very hard to even measure. And there's so many more variables that they can't measure. And they're making their best guess based on their expertise and the fact that they've seen this thing over and over and they have some, some, some knowledge and some experience, right? And some wisdom about how to do that. They probably are actually better at predicting the weather than you are, but yet we complain when they're wrong. You know, weather forecasting is a model. It's a simplification of the world that tries to help us. And sometimes it's useful. If the weather says, you know what, we might get some snow. Well, I got a steep driveway and my wife has uh, an important job. So if there's any indication that there might be bad weather, we're parking the the car at the end of the driveway. So it's right next to the road that they plow. So she can get to work if she needs to. Is that so wrong? I mean, is that such a terrible thing? And you know what? If it doesn't, snow and ice, and she has to walk to her car the next morning, she's not complaining about it. And I just had this thought, and I don't really want to make this about politics, but it's kind of like the mask. We don't really have the definitive truth and proof that wearing a mask reduces the spread of COVID. We have a lot of really good evidence that says it does, and that it's helpful, and that's a benefit. And so I'm like, well, hell yeah. If you think this model predicts this result, if this model predicts this result, I'm going to do it. If mask wearing appears to be helpful, then I'm going to do it. That model is helpful to me. And so people that don't do it are basically denying all of it. They're assuming that there's garbage in, garbage out. They're assuming there's agendas and all of these other things, all of which should be built into the model. But we don't know how to do that yet. Because again, that world is very complex, right? Understanding how COVID works is hard enough. Understanding how our attitudes about COVID influence how COVID works is, you know, impossible. And so if we can get close to that, that's amazing. Now, the biggest model that I kind of want to spend the last part of this episode talking about is the domestication model, what Don Miguel Ruiz and the Toltecs call domestication, the process of teaching young humans to behave properly in their given environments. Things that we learn in the home of, of, uh, you know, um, our rearing of our, of our primary caregivers. We learn from our parents and our guardians. We learn from our churches. We learn from schools and preschools. We learn from our friends. We learn from other parents. We learn from brothers and sisters. We learn from our jobs and we start to enter the workforce. We learn from society at large and we participate in the world. Before we have consent, before we have awareness, we are being taught these things. It's a model. The model that I was, um, the simplification of the world that I was taught was that you do good in school 
so that you get to go to a good college. You go to a good college and you do well and make good grades and you pick a good major that makes good money and you get a good job. You get a good job, you make good money. You make good money, you're happy. You get to pay your bills. You can retire. You'll be safe. You'll be careful. You marry the right person. You have a complete life. You have love. You have kids. You have a family. You've reached that goal. You have a white picket fence. You drive you know, a minivan. You have a four-bedroom house. You live in the suburbs. Da, 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 da. That model was developed post-World War II when as a cure for all of the crappy stuff that we had to endure during the depression, right? Like we did all this stuff and it sucked. Let's build a world that allows us to have this stuff that's better. That's the model output. And here's how you do it. That's the model, the simplification of the world into, I don't have to think about what I'm going to do for a job. I'm going to take a job that pays the most money and I'm going to get the job that pays the most money by making the best grades. I mean, it's this... Very obvious. And what we tried to do there is oversimplify the world because we denied all of the other parts of being human that don't have to do with money and financial safety, you know. And now I just uh, I just did an interview on a podcast um, uh, with a young man, 19 years old. I'll talk about more, that more when it comes out. Uh, and it was so interesting to see his perspective on the world because he wasn't as influenced by that model as we were. His model was a little, well, a lot more flexible, a lot more broad and a lot less narrow, right? He was presented with a multifaceted models, plural, of things that he could do with his life um, from his parents, from the people around him, and from the people that he saw on the internet, which is the big thing. You know, it's exposing him to more options and more choices that are available as far as how the world works. And so, but we all have to deal with our individual domestication processes. I think the younger generation has a broader sense, but they're still fairly well-defined as these if-then sort of choice statements where you can walk in a fairly linear path if you subscribe to the, the model's terms. The best model is probably one that allows you to build it <laughs> as you go. And here is the challenge, because you're going to fail. And that's the, cool, the, the one thing we don't see about the YouTube algorithm is what I was talking about before, all the times it didn't work. We don't see that. We don't see the people who got fired because they sucked at their jobs because they couldn't build a model that predicted what people would watch, pay attention to, and buy. We don't see the failures. But they're critical to the end result. Just like our ability to live life on the earth is critical, uh, a critical result of our ancestors who went through all these trials and errors and kind of figured out a better way to live. We know that eating your own poop or pooping into our own water source and drinking it is a bad idea. We learned that. Those are terms in the model that have improved it <laughs> and, and made it better. And so it's up to us to, to, take, to learn to take the risks to build our own models and to, through a series of trial and error, and to um, reduce the fears associated with those things, I suppose. But And then the last thing I want to say is that inherent to this model-based thinking, you may have heard all this and been like, you know what, this ain't for me. I don't understand what you're saying. It doesn't make any sense. At, at some level, it is much more basic than what I've made it out to be. And I think at the 30,000-foot view, I would say that I am a systems thinker. I believe in systems that work because of a series of interconnected parts, right? So the model is the system. The interconnected parts are the individual terms, the X plus Y, or whatever it is. And I, based on last episode of Simplicity, Parsimony, and Occam's Razor, I want my model to be as simple and have as fewest terms as possible. And I'm happy with something like 80% accuracy, 88% accuracy tops. 80 to 90% accuracy is good enough for me. Because that's the point at which the model is complex enough to do a pretty good job at telling us what 
is going on, but doesn't have to become overly complex. And once something becomes overly complex, I don't want anything to do with it. So I assure you that even though I think of systems as having these emergent properties, systems work, and I think I'm going to have to do an episode about this, sort of the levels of organization of human biology are a good example. Cells are independent. They have a cell wall. They exist. Cells get together and form a tissue. Now they have emergent properties. Now they're not just cells. They're cells working together. Tissues have a boundary. You can say, you know, this is my skin. This is my lung tissue. This is a muscle tissue. But then they combine to form your bicep or your actual whole entire lung. Now it has a new emergent purpose. It's not just uh, a, a collection of tissues. You know, it's a thing that has its own purpose. Now those organs get together and they create an organ system. Now the organ system has a job of digestion or respiration or keeping a body alive. Those organ systems all collectively get together. Now you've got an individual person of a species and so on and so on and so on. So that's the type of systems that I think of. You have a system that works as it works, but then you have the pieces inside of the system that works work as they work, but they also work as a part of the system. And uh, I'm not sure if I'll do an entire episode on that. Maybe that's enough saying that right there. But, you know, I find it useful to have a background knowledge of what I just said as we go forward to think about how these things. And that's going to, you know, things like how does meditation a seemingly benign act of sitting still and not thinking, trying really hard not to think and failing at it. How's that going to help me out in my daily life? Well, it helps you out in your daily life because in doing the meditation, which you get frustrated with and you feel like you can't do, you actually learn how to do something that you're unaware of and that is control your awareness and your attention, which I talked about last time. Now, if something stressful comes up in your life and somebody pulls out of you in front of traffic, you actually have a meditative moment where you relax into it and you think, oh, I'm getting angry. And then you can actually stop yourself from getting angry and ruining your day by simply saying, you know, I bet that guy is in a hurry because his wife's in the hospital. And let it go. So you don't really think about that when you're doing meditation, but that's part of the system, right? Meditation is meditation when you're doing it, but in the context of your peace, calm, and your life unfolding, it becomes a tool that you use to regulate your mood. That's pretty powerful stuff. That's what we'll be talking about in upcoming episodes. This one has been about the algorithm, models and simplifications. I'm Chris Bircher. This has been episode 81 for Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, the algorithm. I will see you guys next week. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff coming up. I got, um, by the time this comes out, I think maybe I'll have one or two more interviews for the Arbitration Problem, and I'll be featured on the Intelligent Podcast, which I'll let you know about when that comes out. Thanks, guys. See you later. Take it easy.